Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. We are going to begin our reading at verse 24 of chapter 1 and then read through verse 5 of chapter 2. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 24, what we hear now is God's Word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you through plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, I trust as you um, look at the uh, outline in the bulletin tonight, uh, you may notice a couple of things. Uh, perhaps one thing you notice is that uh, all the nouns in the main points start with the letter M. Now, I'm not very good at being crafty when it comes to outlines, but tonight, every main point, the noun, starts with the letter M. Uh, probably the other thing you have noticed is that there are five points of the sermon tonight. Some of you have been kind enough to point that out to me, that there are five points tonight. Um, I've said before that every text can be divided up into three points. I guess uh, tonight is the exception which proves the rule. Um, but as I've been working with this text, I really do believe that this section uh, belongs together. It is one preaching portion about our life in the church, and in particular, how we are to serve in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is writing to a church which he did not plant. He gives thanks for that church, he gives thanks to God for them, and he prays on their behalf. We have seen he talks about Christ, Christ who is firstborn over all creation, Christ who is firstborn of the dead. 
And we said the theme of Colossians really can be found in Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's a book about spiritual maturity. Maturity in our knowledge of who God is, and that knowledge then affecting our walk with God. Tonight, Paul is going to talk about his labor, his serving in the church. Not so we might uh, feel bad for him because he works so hard or anything like that, but he says, I, I'm, I'm telling you this so that you might know what it is like to serve in the church. It's an encouragement to the Colossians. It's an encouragement to us what our service in the church should look like. He begins in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. He speaks about rejoicing in sufferings, a misery that he carries in his life. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. This has caused some to be confused about the nature of the atonement. Was there something left undone by Christ? That Paul now has to fill up what Christ did not do? We can be sure there was nothing deficient in Christ's suffering. It was completely sufficient to pay the debt for all the elect, nothing lacking in the suffering of Christ. So what then does Paul mean when he says, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Well, Christ, while he was on earth, was certainly afflicted by those around him. On the cross, he was afflicted by, by the jeers, he was afflicted by the pain. But Christ has left the earth. He has gone back into heaven. And the affliction which the world would now want to lay upon Christ, it lays upon his followers. They can no longer hurt Christ. He's gone back to heaven. But those who follow him now bear that affliction. I rejoice in my sufferings, Paul says. Suffering in the church. That is not a theme that we normally talk about. Suffering in the church of Jesus Christ. It is certainly not a theme in broad evangelicalism. The theme in broad evangelicalism is if you're having trouble, come to the church, your life will get better. Having difficulties, come to the church, everything gets fine. We know that's not the case. The church is not immune from difficulty. In fact, historically, those who've been in the church have been persecuted. There has been suffering for the sake of Christ. And so when we, when we, when we accept the jeers that would go to Christ, when, we, when those are directed at us, we should not be surprised. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering." He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you 
and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. I want you to know the struggle I go through on your behalf. I struggle that you might know the fullness of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I rejoice in that struggle. I rejoice in my sufferings that you might know Christ and know him more fully. Christ speaks about, uh, Paul speaks about the misery placed upon him, which would be given to Christ, but now, now placed upon his followers. He goes on, verse 25. The afflictions for his body, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul was commissioned as an apostle. He had a divine mission given to him by God himself. Remember, Paul was was a persecutor of the faith. And God came to him and God arrested him and God turned him around. And he became one of the greatest evangelists in the church, sharing the gospel. He was set apart for that service, commissioned by God himself. And we still do that today. We still set apart those who are commissioned, set apart to bring the gospel. It was um, 25 years ago that I had the privilege of being ordained as a gospel minister. We saw an ordination just a few months ago as Reverend Squeers was ordained to the ministry, being set apart that, that ministers of the gospel might make known the glories of Christ, might tell this wonderful word, the word of God might be fully known. And you say, well, great, you know, that's fine for you, that's fine for your ministers, but, uh, but we're unordained. We don't have that particular calling. While it's true, not all have been called and set apart for a formal gospel ministry. All of us, all of us, are called to share the truth that we know with those around us. All of us are called to, perhaps not officially from the pulpit, but certainly unofficially, tell the glory of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission given to the church that each of us in our different situations, in our own particular ways, will share the glories of the gospel. That's a mission not only given to those ordained, it's a mission given to all of us. I become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me that the word of God might be fully known. That's Paul's desire that the word of God continue to go out. And that does go out formally from the pulpit, but it also goes out informally in the discussions that we have. And Paul says, what is this message that goes out? Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. He talks about a message which is a mystery. When Paul uses the word mystery here, He really means it is something which is hidden. Mystery here means that which is hidden, that which is not uh, immediately obvious. And so what is this, this mystery hidden for ages and generations? The mystery which is hidden 
is the glory of Jesus Christ as it is seen in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were ceremonies, there were sacrifices, there were feasts, there were celebrations, and all of these pointed forward to something greater, to something yet to be revealed. They pointed forward to the work of Jesus Christ. That, that mystery, that which was hidden for ages, even among God's people. One of the things that I often hear as, um, as people come to the Reformed faith, they say, you know, you guys, you preach from the Old Testament. Not to say that other churches don't ever do that, but we don't preach from the Old Testament moralistically. We preach it Christocentrically. How does this text, how does this ceremony, how does this sacrifice point us forward to the work of Jesus Christ? That mystery hidden for ages, now being revealed. So when we talk about, about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and God, God sheds blood to give them skins to wear and cover up their nakedness, it's a picture of Christ's blood being shed that we might be clothed in His righteousness. We talk about David, the shepherd king. Certainly he was the shepherd king, but he points forward to a greater shepherd for the work of Jesus Christ. That mystery hidden for so many years, but now, now being revealed. We live on this side of the cross. How much easier for us to share that message. We don't live in the era of shadow and type and image. We can point to the reality, to Jesus Christ. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That message of Christ, Christ working in us. He will be revealed in our lives. If we're to share the glories of the gospel, what he has done for us, we don't need to know all the intricacies of theology. Now, knowing theology is not a bad thing, but we don't have to be able to answer every question. All we need to do to share the gospel is to say, this is what Christ has done for me. I was lost. I was a sinner. I had no hope whatsoever. And Jesus Christ came to me. God gave me the gift of faith that I might embrace Him. And now I know He has died for me that I might live for Him. The simplicity of the gospel. Sharing this wonderful mystery, this message hidden for so many years, but now revealed others might know the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the same message we bring tonight, a very simple message. Christ, a sinner's Savior. Christ who comes to us, who's done everything necessary to wash us from our sins, and all we must do is put our faith in Him. He calls us tonight. Embrace Jesus Christ. Know what He has done, and know the glory of belonging. That, 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 that hidden message now revealed to us by the power of Christ and His Holy Spirit. This is the, the work that Paul calls the church to, sharing what Jesus Christ has done for us. He says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, 
So not, not a story about ourselves, about Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How does Paul proclaim this message, this mystery? He does it in two different ways. He says, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Twofold means. When he uses the word warning here, it's not so much um, like we think of the word warning, but, but the words he uses here have the sense of engaging the mind. That's actually the words he used. We do this engaging the mind. Which is to say, when we share the gospel, it is okay to make a reasoned argument for belief in Jesus Christ. Now, we know we will never argue with someone into God's kingdom, but the Christian religion is not anti-intellectual. We don't say, check your brain at the door when you walk into church and just live by faith. No, we don't do away with systematic theology. But we continue to press the claims of God's Word and the truth claims that God makes. We're called to engage the culture. Engage them intellectually. Engage their minds. As we, as we share the gospel, we may need to challenge someone's worldview and, and, and talk about the inconsistencies that are found there in materialism, in humanism. And we say there's a fullness, there's a blessedness in, in the Christian worldview. God who is in control of all things. God who does all things well. And we engage their minds and reason with them. We proclaim a reasoned defense of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ has done. Warning them, Paul says, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And the idea given here is, is ongoing teaching. As we enter into a discussion with someone, we, we continue to work with them and teach them. Uh, when, when God puts someone in our path that we believe we are called to share the gospel with, uh, we don't do that on a one-time basis and then say, okay, well, I guess we're done now. We enter into a relationship with them, an ongoing discussion, a reasoned debate. And we continue to instruct them and to teach them. We don't simply bring our friend to church and hand him off to the elder and say, now it's your responsibility. God has put us in a relationship with them that we might continue the conversation, continue to, to discuss the truth of God's Word, who He is and what He has done. Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 2, I say this in order that no one may be deluded with plausible arguments, so that you're not confused. You're not led astray. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ, that you not be deluded and remain firm in your faith. When we engage the discussion with an unbeliever, we may not have all the answers. That's okay. But it drives us once again back into the Word because there we can find the answers. The Word of God contains all the answers necessary for the conversation. We, we want to know well God's truth. That's why we come to worship. 
Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Kids, that's why your folks bring you to worship. So you can know the truth of God's Word. So as you grow up in Him, you will be well-grounded. Paul speaks about the firmness of our faith. A firmness rooted in what Christ has done for us and a firmness which drives us back to the Word for the answers we desire. As we seek to serve those around us, we engage them, we warn them, and we teach them with all wisdom, being, being mature in Christ. And then Paul says at the end, verse 29, For this I toil, struggling, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil. The task of evangelism is a task. It is work. It is something that does not seem to come naturally to us. It is work for us to engage others with the gospel. And it's easy to say, look, the task is just too big. When we see all the evil in the world around us, we say, it's just too much to do. Even, even we think about our own neighborhood. The task of reaching those within, within a mile of our church seems like a huge task. We may not let the, the size of the task deter us from beginning. The work is big. We seem so small. But Paul says, I toil, I labor, I struggle with all his energy. We are not left to ourselves in this glorious work. We are not left to ourselves as we go and share the gospel with those around us. God himself gives us strength. God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, arranges those contacts with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our family members that we might share the gospel with them. We have the promise of God's own Holy Spirit as we do this work. What more could we ask for? God himself says, I will be there with you. Paul says, I, I toil, I struggle, but I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Yes, the task is a huge task to bring the gospel to the nation. But we must not let the size of the task be an excuse not to do the task God has given to us. In fact, the size of the task should be our motivation. Look how much has to be done. Look how much work God has given to us that should motivate us to share the gospel. When we think of our neighbors, our co-workers who do not know Christ, spending an eternity in hell, that should motivate us as servants in the church to share the simplicity of the gospel, the truth that we know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul talks about serving in the church, something that was difficult but a blessing for him, and the same is true for us. We are called as members of Christ's church perhaps to suffer, to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to suffer the loss of our reputation, to suffer the, the, the jeers of our co-workers. But he calls us to take up this task of sharing the glories of the gospel that we might engage the mind 
We might teach continually the wisdom of God. We might rely not on our own strength, but on the power of the Holy Spirit who works within us, that the church might be built up, that God might be glorified as he brings his chosen ones in using the means of us, our words, our discussions, our, our, our worldview challenges. God uses us to build his church and to bring glory to himself. Oh, the blessing of serving in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, truly when we consider the work of evangelism, the work of sharing the gospel with a dark and hurting world, it is a huge task. It is a daunting task. It is so easy for us simply to say, well, it just can't be done. May we take a lesson tonight, O God, from your word, from an apostle who would suffer for your sake, one who would toil and labor in your church. Lord God, give us that same desire, that same devotion, that the people whom you place in our path, we may open our mouth and speak the truth, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that comes from you. If we have remained silent, O oh God, forgive us for our silence and use us to spread the glorious word of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, that you might grow your church and bring greater glory unto yourself. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.